0: Hello there. It's episode 362. Oh my goodness. It's the Keto Diet Podcast. My name is Leanne. Welcome, welcome. Uh, Today, we are chatting with my friend, Kristen Kirkpatrick, all about the liver. And we also had a little bit of time at the end to just chat about New Year's resolutions and just like where everyone's at. Just like a little check-in of like, how are you doing? What's going on? You doing okay? Do you need help? <laughs> um, so that's really good. And I'm glad we got to kind of squeeze that into today's episode. Kristen is just really good at making practical suggestions for what's going on in people's lives at the current time. She was a guest on episode 346 that was uh, released in December. So if you haven't listened to that, and you just love the way that Kristen approaches certain things, definitely rewind a little bit into your podcast app and look for episode 346. It was on sugar addiction and behaviors. And depending on the app you're using, there was a time where I thought it was a good idea to do mini-sodes on the podcast and not number them. So I think we're at like episode 390 something today, but like it's just all a mess. So just look for sugar addictions and behaviors with Kristen Kirkpatrick and maybe sometime Probably never. I'll like clean up episode numbers and like skip ahead to where we should actually be. Anyways, that's just a little window into the complexities of running a podcast. It's always a mess, but not today. Today is going to be a good one like I said, Kristen and I are chatting about the liver. Kristen has written a book called Skinny Liver. You can actually get that book on Amazon. I will include the link in the show notes today. And we also chatted about the use of dandelion on supporting liver function, something that I personally do a couple times a week. And so I will include a link in the show notes with that Ticino dandelion tea that I really like. And it's not like other dandelion teas that have gluten in it. A lot of teas will have barley And they say that there's no gluten in it, but I still personally react to it. If So if you're that type of person, I really like the Ticino dandelion blends specifically because they don't have the barley. So before we get to today's episode, I just want to spend some time chatting about the liver a little bit and giving you an introduction. I like to record these introductions after I've chatted with the guests. So if I feel like there's something missing or we didn't touch on things as well as perhaps I feel like maybe we should or I missed something that I should have asked, I really like to just fill in the gaps so that you understand kind of what we're talking about and what the benefits are and and why. And so we're going to be talking about the liver today. And there's really two phases to liver detoxification. And so we do touch on toxins in today's episode and a big role a big, big role that the liver has is to detoxify our bodies. And so toxins come in and they react via oxidation generally, hydrolysis, hydration, a whole bunch of ways. And through that process, um, specific nutrients are used. Things like a B2, B6, B3, folic acid, B12, glutathione, which we touch on in today's episode, amino acids, flavonoids, phospholipids. So if we don't have those precursors it can oftentimes cause some issues. And so when we have these toxins, I like to think of them as like little unpaired buddies. And so the liver does such a great job of pairing up those toxins with another buddy and that's called conjugation. So that pairing up of your little buddies happens through sulfation, glucuronidation, glutathione conjugation, what am i missing? amino acid conjugation, methylation, a missing one. Acetylation? Yes, yes. Acetylation, final answer. And in order to pair up these toxins with their buddies, nutrients being used are going to be a lot of amino acids like taurine, glycine, cysteine. You also have a glutamine methionine. And so a lot of the times we'll hear like, I'm going on a detox and I'll look at their diet and be like, you're not going to be detoxing very well because there's literally no protein in your detox, like a green juice diet. Good luck. There's not enough protein in there to really help that liver along. It requires a lot of B vitamins and a good amount of amino acids And when those little toxin buddies are stored, are rather paired with their, with their conjugation pathway, then they're going to be excreted either through the bile, into the feces and stool, or through the serum into the kidneys and into the urine. And so that's why it can be helpful um, when we're testing. And that's oftentimes why we will test certain things in the urine so we can see it excreted through the urine and each type of conjugation pathway that buddying up goes to different places in the body like the stool or the urine. And so that's really one of the primary and not the only but one of the primary roles uh, that the liver has. And so in today's episode, we're going to be chatting about what the liver does in addition to what I just shared, how the liver can become unhealthy, what to watch for. Uh, liver signs and issues to watch for. Now, this is where Kristen and I um, disagree a little bit uh, on this. So I'm going to include a couple of studies and resources in the show notes about what can cause elevated liver enzymes outside of just your liver being stressed due to fatty liver and and toxins and things that we chatted about. There are quite a few studies on heavy metals contributing to liver issues. Heavy metals, specifically mercury, I believe cadmium is also in that group. Alcohol, which we chatted about. And also also stealth infections can cause issues with just stagnant liver and a blocked liver pathway. Um, we chatted a little bit in today's episode about just... Toxic relationships, but also emotions can affect the liver quite substantially. Things like resentment, envy, anger, hatred. So I'll include those resources in today's episode, including some of the pieces that we didn't touch on in today's episode. In addition, like I said, once we've kind of talked about the liver and gallbladder and toxins and how to support the liver and whether or not coffee enemas might be a good solution. P.S. I do a coffee enema once a week in between my distilled water enemas. It's a game changer. I love, love, love them and I just love them. We're also going to be talking about just a little touch base on where you're at with your quote unquote New Year's resolution and how to set clear goals and how to get quote unquote back on track and do it the right way where you're not obsessing about the track and where you're at just because Kristen is just so good at conceptualizing some of these um, like complex pieces that a lot of people struggle with. So, okay. I think that does it I do have one announcement today and that is if you have questions about today's episode you can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me or if you're on Instagram you can follow me at Leanne Vogel and uh, send me a little DM okay let's do this thing Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hey, Kristen, how are you? Hi, Leanne. I'm great today.
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm so good. I'm so glad to have you back on the show.
1: Oh, me too. I'm so I was honored the first time and uh, honored to be uh, to be coming back. I'm just I'm excited. You've got such a great audience. So really excited to engage with you and them and to, you know, share some health news. Yeah. And
0: episode 346, if you guys haven't listened to it, it launched in December. And it is so good. We chatted about sugar addiction and behavior behaviors. And actually after recording, because I record like three months ahead of schedule so that I don't miss anything, I'm very organized. And so after we recorded, Kristen, I actually shared the raw audio with a bunch of my clients. I was like, I can't wait for it to come out. And I just sent it like blasted it. Like you
1: guys need to listen to this woman. She's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, we covered a lot of great topics. We did. We did,
0: including talking about gummy bears. <laughs> so yeah, Yep. Today, I wanted to chat with you about the liver. And for those of you who don't know who Kristen is, maybe Kristen, you can share a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to write about the liver.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question, right? That's the why. I remember when I had decided, made the decision that I, this was going to be what I was going to write about and people would ask me, oh, what's your book about? I'd kind of like be like a little bit apprehensive and be like, oh, it's about the liver and then just wait for their reaction. <laughs> but it ended up being a great decision. So yeah, I've been a dietitian for almost 20 years, spent the majority of my career at Cleveland Clinic. I'm actually still affiliated with Cleveland Clinic, which was great. And that's really kind of what prompted my interest here. You know, I had had so many patients, Liam. this is about three, four years ago, that would come to me and I would, you know, start off my appointment the way I would any appointment and say, well, you know, tell me why you're here today. What brings you in? And a lot of them would say, well, I went to go see my doctor for my annual exam and he found out that my liver enzymes were high. And he just said, or he, she, he, or she just said, you know, probably you've got fatty liver. So go to a dietitian and. Let's try and manage it with diet and lose weight and and all those things. And there was no other information. And the reason for that was because there was no guide. There was no protocol. There weren't enough studies. Even though we feel that this had been brewing for probably decades, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was not something that had been written up in terms of how do you solve the problem? So that's really kind of where my interest started. I started following this amazing uh, hepatologist, so a liver doctor at Cleveland Clinic. So I could get kind of firsthand knowledge and insight into what the patients in that department were going through, what they were asking about, what they looked like. From there, I just said, well, there's no guide, so I want to write the guide. So that was that was pretty much it. And I, I as weird as it sounds, I kind of fell in love with the organ and fell in love with everything it did. And, and I don't think a lot of people know what it does. So, yeah, that's kind of the story behind why I chose uh, the liver is like, you know, my organ. I really do love the liver, too. I love the
0: liver. And so for people who may not know what the liver does and why both of us
1: love the liver, can you share a little bit about what the liver does and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so like when we think about organs, or at least I'll say my patients, right? When my patients think about organs, most people are thinking brain and heart. Those are really two important organs. And most people know exactly what those two organs do. And then when I bring up the liver, you know, it's it, it was interestingly, and I did a Dr. Oz show about about the liver and he sent his his reporters out on the streets of New York to ask people what does the liver do and their answer was very similar to what my patients say which is like oh doesn't it have to do with something like it helps when i drink alcohol like and that was it right <laughs> that was it but really it's got this organ has about 500 vital functions within the body it produces bile which is really important because bile carries away, uh, breaks down fat, carries away the waste of that fat. Um so that's really like integral to what the liver does. It is the body's detoxifier. So when people say, "Oh, I want to go on a detox diet." My first question is always like, "What what kind of shape is your liver in?" Let's start with that because that was the detox kind of, that was the detox organ that was given to you at birth. So how are you treating it, right? So the liver is really responsible for identifying a toxin in the body or something that shouldn't be in the body, converting it and getting it out of the body. And alcohol, of course, is a great example of that. Uh, It also has a role in uh, the breakdown of cholesterol and helping to carry fat throughout the body. has a role in glucose and glycogen metabolism regulating amino acids, which are coming from proteins, you know, just everything we think about in terms of the function of when we eat something has to do with the liver, right? And we we don't think about that. We think, oh, the small intestine in the stomach and digestive enzymes, but the liver is really what is key to helping metabolize those vitamins and things like that. Blood clotting, that's another thing that it's involved with, but I mean, really, alongside the kidneys, it really is the most, one of the most important organs we have in terms of keeping our body in a state of homeostasis. So keeping it in that state of of normal. Um, and it's the only organ, this is just like a fun fact, that can regenerate. There's no other organ in the body that can regenerate. So we can get into this later. But when individuals are looking at transplantation, they can actually do what's called a partial transplantation, because if they only put a partial amount of liver back in, the rest of the liver will regenerate, which I think is like, that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. So yeah, it does it all. And clearly we can't be healthy or can't sustain life without it.
0: Keto flu, impossible fasting symptoms that stop you mid-fast, cravings at any hour of the day, or feeling off after a sweaty workout. These are some of the signs that you're low in electrolytes. When I first started keto, I made all of the mistakes. One of the biggest ones was not supplementing with electrolytes. And still, seven years into keto, I often forget how essential electrolytes are. Honestly, it's easy to forget to take electrolytes because, well, a lot of them don't taste very good or work very well. Enter element the most delicious well-balanced electrolyte powder i've personally tried like ever add to water and enjoy any time of day these electrolytes are salty as they should be quenching your thirst and hitting the spot and the best part when you head to drinklmnt.com slash kdp, you'll receive a free Element sample pack. You only pay $5 for shipping. The sample pack includes eight packets of Element. That includes two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored. Go to drinklmnt.com slash Forward slash KDP for your free sample pack. I love Element and I really think you're going to too. Again, that's drinkelement.com forward slash KDP to get your free sample pack. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5, no questions asked. I guess, like, yes, 100%. And I think, is it that the liver, like, A lot of medical professionals, I think things are changing now, but a lot of them will say, well, you have a liver, so you don't need to worry about it. Can the liver become unhealthy?
1: Absolutely. The liver can become unhealthy through, um, you know, really through a few varieties of factors. We always have to look at genetics. There are some genetic factors in where the liver can become unhealthy, right? And I guess what we should do is really look at what does it mean to be unhealthy? How is that defined? Well, the liver is this beautiful, very large organ, the largest organ behind the skin. So it's very big and it's supposed to just resemble this kind of beautiful red, nice kind of shiny organ. When we start damaging it through lifestyle choices primarily, because that's what we're seeing in the data, what happens is it starts to become scarred. It starts to become more inflamed and sections of the liver can actually start to break down and, and not function anymore. So when we think about the unhealthiness of the liver, we really have to think about kind of what are some of the things that are being put into the body? Because remember, this organ is responsible for the stress of detoxification and everything related to that. So what are the things we're doing where it's just overwhelmed? It can't detoxify anymore. And, you know, what does that look like? So. It's definitely an organ that can become unhealthy. And, you know, the unfortunate part of the liver or fortunate, however you want to look at it, is that in the very early stages, you know, you've got some time where the liver can really kind of bounce back, I would say. But there is a breaking point. There is a place where the liver gets so diseased, and that's called cirrhosis, where the only solution is transplantation. And if you don't get a transplant, you can't live anymore. So it does give us a lot of, it gives us a lot of chances, but it definitely can get unhealthy. And we're seeing uh, 25 to 30% of Americans right now with unhealthy livers.
0: Isn't that just crazy hey like that makes me so sad and it's yeah it's completely many of it is unavoidable and so what should one you know if a lady's listening today and she's like how do I know if my liver is okay do I even need to be worried about this I think I'm okay what are some of the issues that can pop up or ways that we can know that our liver is healthy or not, or if it needs help?
1: Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's interesting. That's a really interesting question because really when our liver starts to become unhealthy, there's no warning signs. There really are no symptoms to indicate like, Hey, there's, there's something really off here, right? We don't start having chest pain or or things like that, like other organs to kind of give us that, that insight that something might be a little bit off. So really we have to rely in the initial phases on blood tests, which if you go see your doctor every year, I mean, this is, there's a lot of reasons why we should have a primary care physician that we see on a regular basis. This is just one of them. Our liver enzymes do show up in normal metabolic profiles. So when you have that normal blood test, this is not a special blood test, you can see some of those liver enzymes. And if they're high, it indicates that something is a little bit off with the organ. A lot of physicians that I have interviewed, that I have worked with, a lot of them, especially in the early days, would simply um, diagnose non-alcoholic fatty liver disease simply from these you know elevated liver enzymes, uh, but it wasn't just the enzymes. If you're someone that's got central obesity, so you're you're overweight, but most of that weight is in the gut area, which is very close to the organ and very inflammatory. That would kind of be something where they would say, "Oh, you probably have fatty liver," or if you had elevated enzymes and you also had type two diabetes. Another place where they would say, "Oh, probably have fatty liver." Some physicians will go as far as to go through an ultrasound. That could sometimes be the next step. But the point here is that you know, outside of maybe a little bit of fatigue, which I mean, I would say we're all fatigued at some point. There's really no, um, there's no red flags. There's no warning signs. So this is why it's so important to see your physician every year to just make sure, okay, everything's in in top condition. And my enzymes are normal that indicates a normal organ awesome and so what would your thoughts be
0: on like in functional medicine sometimes we use stuff like uh, dark circles around the eyes hormonal imbalances those sorts of things to kind of determine like what's going on with liver function or how we're able to tolerate coffee or
1: alcohol do you see that correlation or not so much where we don't see that correlation is really the data. We don't really see a correlation between skin and things like that, not in the early stages. Now, of course, when you get to, let's say your liver is really kind of far gone. I, I remember when I was following the hepatologist at Cleveland Clinic, who's now at Mayo Clinic, and he's amazing, um, Dr. Ibrahim You know, He would say that there were some patients that would come in because they were completely fatigued you know, maybe had some you know, kind of some symptoms around the eyes, what you were saying, things like that. And when they were tested, they found that they were fully into cirrhosis, the beginning stages of cirrhosis. So they were very far gone. We typically don't see those symptoms until you've really gotten some damage to the liver. And that could take years. It is a pretty resilient organ, which is why I always say it's a great organ to bounce back. But typically, we don't see those types of things until you get into the latter stages of uh, some sort of liver disease. Cool. Awesome. And did you look into the connection between uh,
0: gallbladder removal and just overall liver health? I know some people out there would say something like, you know, if the gallbladder is removed, um, it just removes the organ that was the problem, but it could still be an issue with the biliary tree. What were kind of your findings on gallbladder removal and the role of liver and whether or not that could be a sign of potential liver support being required?
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we definitely, when I was shadowing, we definitely saw some patients with gallbladder removal surgery. Because it is something, because bile is a substance that's made by the liver to help with fat digestion, we do know that when we saw something like this, we could see maybe a little bit of damage to the effect of the fact that we couldn't break down fat anymore, right? And so there was some some issue with that. For the most part though, if if it's done correctly and you're following a physician things like that, most of the liver function will completely stay normal. You know, you wouldn't really see a lot of liver function disturbances. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but you know, I would say the most traditional disturbance is just kind of looking at the dietary function of this and okay what do we have to do with our fat intake because our gallbladder is no longer there and we don't want to overwhelm the liver because it's missing this it's kind of missing what I call its buddy right so diet is really the the remedy to making sure you don't have further liver function issues
0: cool and so is it really like from what I'm hearing from you it's really that diet is kind of do you say is the only thing that can cause liver issues, generally speaking? Or are there more things that we need to be thinking of that could be a red flag?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Diet is not the only thing. Diet's a big thing. But Diet is not the only thing. Um, Looking at everyday toxins, you know, there was actually, Leanna, a study that came out, I think it was just a few days ago, and the study really looked at pollution and the impact that pollution had on liver health, right? And it makes sense, right? Pollution produces something that is a toxin in the body, and, you know, enough toxins can really start damaging it. Uh, Alcohol? is obviously something that a lot of people associate with liver damage. We have seen since the pandemic began an increase in alcohol consumption. And it's really interesting, there are some really interesting studies looking at binge drinking. So short-term binge drinking. So let's say you don't drink any alcohol from Monday to Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday you blow it out. We do know that that can damage the liver just as much as if you were to drink every night. So it's interesting to see some some of these binge drinking behaviors and how that impacts liver function. So we have toxins, we have diet, we have obviously alcohol, which I would somehow include in diet. And then we have Simply the process of what happens when you're either type 2 diabetic, uncontrolled, or insulin resistant. Because the liver plays such a large role in the breakdown of glucose and the storage of glycogen, we do know that sugar has been identified as one of the main culprits of liver disease. I think that's a really important factor because I think we automatically think alcohol, but I would, I would argue that sugar and alcohol are equal offenders. If you're abusing sugar all the time, your liver is not going to take well to it. So the combination of all that with having that central uh, adiposity, so having that central region be the place where you're storing fat, that can be really damaging. So it's really, it's kind of multi-pronged, if you will, but everything works synergistically in a perfect storm to create this damage. So it's not just, oh, I'm thin and everything's great and I never drink alcohol and every once in a while I have some sugar. That's not going to do it. But it's looking at this Western diet or the standard American diet, coupled with all these other things that are within our environments um, that really do lead to this liver damage.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And so on the flip side, what would be your thoughts on a ketogenic diet and liver health? You chatted a little bit. I just want to fill in those gaps, the gallbladder and its little buddy and fat breakdown. And so where would keto fit in all this with blood sugar and all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So keto, there's actually been um, in the past few years, there's been some really interesting data looking at low carb approaches and the impact on liver health. And it really makes sense. I think it really kind of boils down to uh, what we call the carbohydrate insulin model, right? Which is a model that is not focused on calories, but focused on carbs. And the model has been studied, multiple times by very uh, highly respected researchers. But basically what we find is that high glycemic carbohydrates alter... The metabolic and hormonal environments, right? And that drives us to overeat and that drives us to gain weight and that damages the liver. So when we look at that model and we take the flip side of that model, which is a low carb or ketogenic approach, that seems to be very effective for liver health because we are essentially taking away that huge culprit that I just mentioned, sugar, And in addition to sugar, because most people like when I talk to my patients, I was like, what do you think has sugar and affects your blood sugar? And they'll say, well, sugar, but it's not just sugar, right? And we know that it's refined carbohydrates, it's crackers, it's refined pretzels, it's anything that's turned into sugar very, very quickly, anything that's very high in the glycemic index and glycemic load. So I think for individuals that have been diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, need to lose weight, have that central adiposity, all of those factors, a low-carb approach is perhaps one of the most perfect ones to look at because it does result in weight loss and it does result in really taking away the burden that the liver had on metabolizing glucose and glycogen because we're looking at an alternative fuel on that diet. We're looking at burning fat and we're looking at the breakdown of that fat, which is ketone production. So there's been some really interesting data there that I've actually used in my own patient practice and seen some really great results in terms of reduction of liver enzymes, looking on a a very low carb approach. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And
0: if somebody is looking to support their liver, perhaps they have those elevated liver enzymes or doctor said, like, you need to get control of this. What are some options? Like you talked about the ketogenic diet. Are there other things they can do supplement wise, lifestyle wise to really help support the liver?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, oftentimes when I'm looking at patients, uh, a lot of times they'll say, well, I need to lose weight, so I need to eat less. And that's the end of the story. But we know that weight loss and weight loss maintenance does not occur within a vacuum. Right? We know that there are some other things that go along with it. So, adequate sleep, adequate stress management, you know, exercise. A lot of my patients, I say exercise and they're like, oh God, I knew you're going to say that. But for me, I just talk about just moving, right? Just move a little bit more. And, Leanne, to your point about the ketogenic diet, there's plenty of studies showing the really huge benefit of moving uh, before you have your first meal of the day. So again, a tactic of, okay, I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to get on the Peloton and I'm going to do it before I eat. So I'm going to be in a fasting state. We know that that has really big benefits to the liver as well. So I think in addition to looking at that, that dietary structure, we have to look at our entire environment. And all the things that led us down this path to liver disease, we have to look at all those factors and they're all the things I talked about. So even if it's something like looking at toxins and things like that, how can you reduce toxins? So there's so much to look into with it from a supplemental side. Uh, Glutathione is a supplement that I know a lot of hepatologists I've worked with can sometimes recommend. I know a lot of my patients, especially my integrative and functional medicine, medicine patients, They're very interested in milk thistle. So milk thistle really won't harm in moderate amounts, but we don't really actually see a huge amount of benefits. Um, That doesn't mean people shouldn't do it. There's anecdotal benefit. But milk thistle is another one. Dandelion is another one that people that I've counseled will like to get on. But really, the supplement is just exactly what it is. It's a supplement, and it's a supplement to a healthy diet. And that's the way we have to look at it. We can't consider any of those supplements and then still eat like crap and think that our liver is going to be happy with it. It won't.
0: in these crazy times we're in, stress and anxiety are at an all-time high. You know, I wonder if everyone in every generation has said that. While there are many great natural supplements to support anxiety and stress, the one that's helped me the most is CBD oil. CBD has tons of other benefits as well, such as sleep support, clearing acne, reducing inflammation, and so much more. By now, everyone's heard of CBD oil. While some people swear by it, other people have not seen the results that they were hoping for. And this bums me out big time. That's where Eaton Hemp comes in. Their unfiltered USDA certified organic full spectrum CBD oil is minimally processed and infused in their own hemp seed oil, giving you the full entourage effect, maximum absorption, potency, effectiveness, which means results. Whether you place the tincture under your tongue or use the salve on sore muscles, that's my personal favorite, CBD can and and should work for you. And if it's not, you're not using the right product. Not only does Eaton provide one of the cleanest CBD products on the market today, but they pride themselves on transparency. Eaton hemp is farmer owned and strongly believes in whole plant nutrition. That's why they leave the CBD unfiltered. So all the elements of the hemp plant can work in unison. Eaton hemp is so confident in the results that their CBD will give you that they offer a full 30 day money back guarantee. So if if you aren't satisfied with their product, they're going to refund you with no questions asked. As a special podcast only offer, you can save 25% on all Eaton Hemp products and still get your full money back guarantee. Head on over to EatonHemp.com keto diet. Use the code keto diet at checkout. Again, that's EatonHemp.com keto diet and use the code keto diet for 25% off. I agree with you. I think with everything that I put together, it's always an encouragement of, you know, it's not just diet. It's not just movement. It's not just supplements. It's really just like all of it together. And I love your point, Kristen, on looking at your lifestyle and all the different places that got you in, like all the different decisions rather that got you into the place that you're in, because it's not just a matter of cleaning up the diet, but looking at, you know, toxic relationships and toxic. Yes. You know, water and are you drinking tap water and like all these pieces are part of the puzzle. And it's not an overnight thing. And it's not I'm not saying this to discourage people like it sounds like a lot of work, but it it does, it does require you to look at various pieces. And for myself, I did have elevated liver enzymes for a little while. And I agree with you on the dandelion piece. It's been quite helpful. I drink dandelion tea actually to Ticino, I think it's called. I love that stuff instead of coffee. And it's been quite awesome for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of patients that have taken that same route. So looking at teas and things like that, and they really like it. And and like you, they're also making these changes. And it's interesting, you know, I've talked about toxins to the liver and, and toxic relationships are, man, just as bad, right? Especially if that toxic relationship is one that does not support lifestyle change. Right. So I've seen that with a lot of my patients. I had a patient say to me a few days ago, I've been doing really good, but now I've been going to holiday parties and it's really hard to be good because, you know, the moms in my neighborhood are like, Ah, just enjoy yourself for one night. But this is a patient who can't enjoy herself for one night and then not continue with that enjoyment the next day. So I often say with, with that type of relationship, sometimes your first tactic in a healthy liver plan is telling others about it, tell, sharing that this is my goal. Hey, my, my liver enzymes are up. I want to be healthy. I want to live longer. And in order to do that, I need you guys all to support me. I need you to, to be there and, and not tell me it's OK to have, you know, to have a night of enjoyment. I'll decide when the night of enjoyment is going to come. So I think that's really important. And I think communicating health also seems to be effective. You know, the the International Food Information Council does this amazing survey every year and looks at consumer trends and consumer preferences. And their 2021 survey indicated that people are really disenfranchised and somewhat disgusted with the diet culture, the diet industry, and the theory of diets, but they are in complete support of health. So even if they are on a particular quote-unquote diets, and let's say they also want to lose weight, the survey showed that as well, their ultimate goal is health. So I think that's the way we need to look at it. We need to look at it as, yeah, weight has an impact on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but if I focus on health, the weight will come off.
0: Yes, uh, that focus on health. It's so hard to kind of bridge that gap between two pieces. And if we have time today, I'd love to kind of get into that in a little bit. I do have a question in regards to the glutathione piece that you touched on. What are your thoughts on using something like a coffee enema that we know can stimulate glutathione uh, S-transferase? Like, Do you feel like that plays a role in liver health and just maybe preventative care or like what are your thoughts on enemas coffee enemas do you have thoughts on it
1: yeah there's been a few studies on this um, especially looking at the antioxidant effects kind of afterwards so I think you know if it doesn't harm the body it's fine but I don't know if we have enough studies to say for sure so typically when I see questions like this and I have had that question uh, coming from some of my patients I will go straight to the hepatologist and really kind of work with them on, you know, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a good option for, for individuals? And a lot of times what they will say is, well, it's, a you know, maybe one option, but a better option is to just, you know, include coffee in your diet. Right? And look at it from that perspective. So, you know, they tend to be um, more conservative, right? I mean, not to say that there's not functional medicine hepatologists that I've, I've worked with, I have, but they're very data driven, as am I. So I would say, you know, as long as it doesn't harm, it's fine. But You know, for the most part, I think the more close to the more close to food and the closer we can get to, you know, how the body detoxifies and gets waste out on its own, the better.
0: Mm, cool awesome and so I want to shift gears just a little bit unless you have anything else you feel like you want to really touch on the liver uh, before I ask you more about diet and health because you're so good at kind of bringing a lot of these ideas together and it's you know we're into 2022 and people might be having some issues with their goals and their new year's resolutions so is there anything else that you feel like we need to talk about on the liver or something that we missed that you really want to
1: encourage people with before we shift gears a little bit No, i would just say leanne like i think like this kind of loops back to my first point like make sure you're seeing your primary care physician because that's how you're going to determine if there's anything wrong with your liver it's not going to come from a symptom so i think that's the most important point for people to take away from this That's great. Awesome.
0: Cool. So we're at March, the end of March, and I'm sure there are ladies that just heard you talking about the holidays and maybe that was a big struggle for them. And maybe they did indulge because their friends said that it would be fine and it wasn't fine. And so January 1st came along and they were very committed. They got a Peloton. They're on it every day until like now? And now they're really struggling and they're regretting everything and they're beating themselves up over it.
1: Thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Back in November and December, I would have patients say, I really want to get on your schedule for January because I've got some really big health goals for 2022. And my comment to them at that time was always, well, why don't you just get on my schedule next week? Like, So I think number one is we build up, this is going to be a new year and a different year in a very obscure fashion. The body has no clue that January 1st has occurred. There's no clue. All it knows is what you do with it at the current time. So I think for a lot of people that started on January 1st, that was kind of the first mistake because they definitely were either thinking about it prior to that or to use that term i've used already they were blowing it out in december in preparation of the fact that they were going to change their ways in january so i think number one is to kind of like look back and determine okay you know, what did I maybe do wrong when I started this? And then the second is if you look at some new studies in terms of what creates sustainability, what keeps people on track long term, it's really looking at a few factors. It's looking at your environment, which we touched on when we talked about the liver, right? What is doable within your environment, right? Number one. Um, and then it looked at preferences. So I think that's something that we oftentimes don't think about. We think, okay, I got to lose 20 pounds in this diet seems seems to work for a lot of other people. I'm not crazy about the food on it, but I'm going to do it because I got to lose 20 pounds. That's not sustainable because you're really not focusing on your preferences. So I would say to take a step back, look at what your preferences are, and then redefine the why. The why can't be weight loss. We've seen from decades of data that a weight loss goal alone doesn't lead to sustainable weight loss, leads to short term weight loss. So we need to redefine the why and determine, okay, yeah, I want to do this because I don't want to get dementia the way my mother did, or I want to live longer than my father did, who had a heart attack in his forties. Right. So really determining the why is the first step before we can kind of jump back into what a healthy 2022 actually looks like.
0: I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. That's such great advice. The why outside of weight loss is something that really fueled me for a really long time. Just like I need to lose the weight. I need to look a certain way. And I was never healthy. And I always binged. Yeah, like, because I would restrict, 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 and then go crazy, like have a complete blowout. And I agree with you. Holidays were one of the hardest times for me. It would start like mid November with all the parties and go full blown for a month and a half nonstop like if I just made one choice it would just trickle to the next whereas now it's like I you know we celebrated Thanksgiving and then there were three weeks or four weeks in between Thanksgiving and Christmas so I just kept eating but you know good as I do and then Christmas happened and I you know had some things but I think it changes so much when you stop the restriction diet weight loss mentality and you're choosing to eat better because it makes you feel better and you have bigger goals that go beyond what your body's going to look like because news news flash as you age your body's going to change like you're you're chasing something you can never catch up with right it's
1: a losing game as you said it's a losing game. And I think, you know, you bring up such a really good point about like, getting off track, staying off track, because I did that too. And a lot of it was really kind of built around shame, right? I failed. Mm-hmm. I failed. And so I'm just going to keep failing. But I think when we, when we look at the term failure, we have to really kind of look at it with different eyes. And if I'm going to have a sleeve of cookies one night, which I've done, that wasn't a great choice. But it wasn't a failure if I can wake up the next morning and go right back to healthy habits, right? So I think like a lot of times we say, well, I already screwed this up. So, you know, I might as well screw up the rest of the week. And that's really kind of where the the breakdown of our mentality starts. So we need to look at this as we are human. You know, typically when you're binging, you're not binging on apples, right? You're binging on Oreos. And so we also are consuming foods that are palatable. And very hard to stop eating. So that's where the human mechanism comes in. It's very easy to stop eating a bowl of steamed broccoli. Very hard to stop eating a big bowl of potato chips, right? We have different cravings for them. So we have to realize that we're human. And because of that, we have to factor those things in. And that's what I found helpful for me. It's what I have found helpful for my patients. Hey, if you want your Oreo or you want your potato chips is fine. You can still have it, but you got to kind of factor it in and schedule it in. And I have found that that helps to prevent, you know, a few nights down the line having the entire bag.
0: Mm hmm. Completely. And so for those women who are listening right now that are like, yeah, totally. I screwed up. I screwed up. I started my New Year's thing and it didn't go well. And now I have it just feels so heavy and I don't know where to go first. And like, how do I? Quote unquote, get back on track, but like have this actually be better this time and have this be more realistic.
1: Any words of advice for those women? Yeah, I think, you know, really kind of taking that baby steps approach. I know you agree with this, and this is something I've done a lot of. Really looking at your carbohydrate consumption can be a huge step in the right direction and it can be a baby step. So, kind of looking at each meal and snack, um, snacks are a great example if you're someone who is like, okay, I'm eating pretzels or I'm eating crackers, what can we swap to something that doesn't have such an impact on our release of insulin? Because you specifically mentioned, Leanne, as we age, things change. And as we age, the body is, is makes it, it's a little bit more difficult for the body to regulate insulin and insulin kind of floating around with no role is a disaster in terms of belly fat. So you know, we have to find ways to kind of suppress insulin. And the other benefit of doing that, so let's say choosing mixed nuts over having the pretzels, is that though we may think in the beginning that we're going to be hungry, we actually are not, right? We know that fat and protein fills us up and refined carbohydrates just makes us more hungry, So I think that's a good baby step approach. And I do that with my patients. Well, let's look at your diet and I'm going to give you five ways in which you can make better decisions in terms of reducing some of the carbohydrate that leads to more satiety. So they're not hungry. Uh, Hunger is the death of any dietary protocol, right? You're going to fail if you're hungry. That's a guarantee. So I think that um, that's a great baby step for, for the women that are listening now. Like start with that. Look at your snacks. And then also ask yourself, when you want to have a snack, when you want to have a meal, are you hungry? Or is it just like January 1st was an obscure date? Is it an obscure time? Is it noon? So that means it's lunchtime. Well, maybe not to your body. Maybe your body isn't going to be hungry till 1.30. Or maybe it was hungry at 11. So I think looking at intuitive eating, listening to your body um, can go a long way uh, when we're trying to make those changes as well.
0: Yeah, something that's been really key for my hunger, I just fully understanding things and keeping on my goals has been wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Now I run on the opposite end of things where my glucose is actually really, really low and I need to remind myself to eat and like to stay on focus. So we all have our different things. Some people, you know, have a hard time not eating. Some people have a hard time eating. And so I think it's really understanding your body and being honest with yourself as to like what you struggle with, what your pain points are and coming up with a plan and um, having that accountability for me, wearing a CGM keeps me accountable. Like I will go a whole day without eating and I'll be stressing and I'll check my glucose and it's like way too low. And it's not good. <laughs> like it, it affects my health. And I think having those certain tools and practitioners and all those things and resources and podcasts and stuff to learn about what those pain points are, I think, is really beneficial and so unique for every person.
1: Yeah, and I think you really touched on a great point, and that is the uniqueness. You know, that really gets into uh, kind of the science of nutrigenomics. You know, nutrigenomics is pretty fascinating, and we have identified seventy genes that really differentiate whether or not you are less likely to be able to metabolize b12 let's say as an example and let's say not able to metabolize coffee as well and might not do great on a low fat diet or might not do great on a keto diet right we definitely have some nutrigenomics data to indicate that and i think even if we don't look at taking a nutrigenomics test we can just simply look at what has worked in the past so again if something has worked for your sister or your best friend, doesn't mean it will work for you. So I think finding what works for you is really a key point that you're making.
0: Mm -hmm. Completely. Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This was just a blast. I really enjoy having a conversation with you always. And oh my gosh, yes. Liver. Oh, so good. (laughs) Yeah, love. You got to love your liver, right? It's totally disrespected. Let's start giving it more attention. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And I will include a link to your book called Skinny Liver. I'll include that in the show notes. And where can people find more from you?
1: Yeah, they can go to my website, which is just my name, Kristen spelled with an I Kirkpatrick.com or on Instagram at uh, fuel well with Chrissy.
0: That's great, Kristen. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Leanne. Always a pleasure.